Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, in the last three years, divers have pulled up 18,000 pounds of trash from Lake Tahoe. Tires, an 80s boombox, so many pairs of glasses. We'll talk with diver and founder of Clean Up the Lake, Colin West, about why removing the trash is a lot more complicated than it sounds and the impact he hopes it will have. Then Megan Milan's new documentary focuses on four families profoundly affected by the decade-long war in Syria. We'll talk with Milan about creating a deeply moving and intimate look into a crisis that has displaced millions of people. That's next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Lake Tahoe is famed for its clear blue water, but not far below the surface along its shoreline lie thousands and thousands of pounds of trash, beer cans, golf balls, plastic cups. It's Colin West's mission to navigate and pull the garbage from 72 miles of lakeshore, an effort that began in earnest last May. And Colin West joins me now. West is founder and executive director of Clean Up the Lake, a nonprofit dedicated to removing trash from Lake Tahoe. Colin, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Happy to be here. Glad to have you. And 72 miles of Lakeshore, of that distance, how much have you covered? How much is left to go? Oh, you know, we are... Gosh, I think we're just broke the 44 mile mark so far. Uh, you know, we've got 20 some odd miles left to go. Sometimes it's hard to count. You just keep swimming. <laughs> but we've uh, pulled out over 18,000 pounds of trash and over 21,000 pieces of trash. And, you know, been very fortunate to be here. And, you know, we've had some amazing partners along the way, like Tahoe Blue Vodka and Tahoe Fund has matched a $100,000 donation Tahoe Blue gave us. And, uh, Nevada Division of State Lands and loads of other grant giving agencies in the basin. So it's been an entire community effort to get to this point. Yeah, and sounds like very badly needed. Were you surprised that in the first 44 miles or so that you have pulled more than 18,000 pounds of trash? You know, it's surprise and being surprised at this point is, is almost difficult. Um, you know, I really was probably hoping for the surprise of coming to a point at the lake where there really wasn't any more trash. And, and sad to say, 
everywhere we turn, whenever we come up with a theory of why there might not be trash collecting somewhere, we're always met with the fact there still is more trash. Um, so, you know, I think ever since I started this project, I, I think the surprise came that first day back in 2018 when a friend of mine um, hosted a scuba cleanup with her boyfriend at Bonsai Rock uh, the same day that I was doing a beach cleanup with Clean Up the Lake. And I was surprised then to hear that 600 pounds came out of a small cove. But at this point, sad to say, I, I, I'm no longer that surprised. Why is there so much trash? I was reading that Tahoe, you've described it, described it as a trash sink. What do you mean by that? Um, that was a, a term that our environmental scientist Zoe Harold kind of deemed saying that basically over in the East Shore area, um, that things were collecting in this trash sink in these granite rocks because you've got the gyres and the currents of the lake, as well as the uh, westerly winds coming over the Sierras that seems to just literally jam pack trash into those beautiful granite rocks of East Shore. And I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes I can't even get cans out between granite rocks. They're just so packed in there. And I think that's kind of where that term came from. I see. You describe cans, one of the big things that you get. What are the most common things that you pull up? And what are also the strangest things you found? You know, there's there's been some, um, some interesting stories for sure. I'll, I'll start with uh, the kind of common pieces of trash as you know i think the the basin here in tahoe has a has a touchy subject of you know having over 20 million visitors that come up here every single year and and so i think it's easy for a lot of people to to point fingers and to say that you know this trash is left behind by people who don't care about the region or you know they're the pigs of humanity that are littering and and sure there is there is some intentional litter that does occur but i think what a lot of people don't quite register and what i've seen under the surface is it's just simply the impact of our human species being in the basin for so long. I mean, there is construction-based trash from building. You know, there's infrastructure trash. There's like pieces of dock that probably fall off in storms. Um, there's loads of accidental trash, you know? I mean, no one's meaning to drop those pairs of Ray-Bans and iPhones into the lake. And last week I came up with two lanyards of iPhones in those waterproof cases around my wetsuit and head. And I was like, hey, anyone wow. need a new phone? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's accidental trash that also happens. And sure, we can tell every now and then when there's intentional litter as well. But I would say just, you know, with more humans comes more trash. And the fact that we've been in the basin for so many years, there is a lot of trash from that. And um, the interesting items, um, one that keeps coming to mind lately is a, a geocache that I found. So it, it, and I'll get to what that is, but when I first found this rim of a tire with an ammunition box around it at the bottom of Tahoe, I opened it up and this blue bottle shot like at 20, 30 miles an hour over my head because there was air in it and it just oh shot straight to the surface, almost hit me in the face. And then there's golf balls and like what might've been sand. And I thought, oh my gosh, it must've been a memorial that I just opened up. And I was kind of nervous and scared. And we get to the top and we open the blue bottle up and expecting to see some kind of letters to loved ones. I was very happy to see that it was one of those geocaches or, or places, boxes that people put out in the environment. And then you can put things in them and sign your name. And the last person that had found that was actually a volunteer diver for our organization three years prior. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, what do you do with everything that you find? It's not like you just dump it, right? No, exactly. I think, you know, we were well aware of, you know, the say issues with China and recycling and, you know, and, and what, what we do with that trash is so important. And so we're wanting to save as much as possible where we can reuse it. Um, you know, and at the, one of the first things that we're looking at doing is um, also speaking to Tahoe Fund about this as well, about possibly looking at doing art installations. And we're exploring that idea. So we've got a, a storage container full of uh, trash right now that could be reused for art installations. So we're excited to kind of dig deeper into that. Um, you know, I've, I've wanted to save all these sunglasses and I've been looking for um, a company in a lab that can help us kind of refurbish the lenses of all the sunglasses we pull out instead of using glass, black, sorry, instead of using plastic lenses, we want to use glass lenses to reduce the amount of plastic in the environment and reuse all these sunnies. And, um, and then of course, if we can't reuse trash, um, we'll try and recycle it in the best way possible. And if it's not able to be recycled, we'll dispose of it, but taking it to the dumps, the, uh, the last, last area on our list um if we can do something else prior i'm talking to colin west founder executive director of clean up the lake a diver who is dedicated to removing trash from lake tahoe with a team of others many who are volunteers what are the conditions like under the surface that has made trash pickup complicated i was struck by the challenges that come with trying to do this at altitude, for example, and also just how deep and craggy the, the lake sounds based on, you know, your description of those sinks earlier. Absolutely. You know, it, it's not an easy feat. And I'm very thankful to the team that has developed over the last couple of years who make this all possible. But, you know, a good old friend of mine who volunteered for a year and then ended up getting a position with the organization to run logistics. Um, you know, the first step is finding that team every day, because while we have some employees that work with us, everything on the water is volunteer. And so we've got to find boat drivers to haul everyone out. We, we find jet skiers, kayakers, snorkeling, free divers and scuba divers all to work together every single day on the water. And so the way that that team works um, just kind of presents how complicated it is because when the divers are underwater, um, sometimes we see small pieces of trash like those cans and golf balls and things that we can put in a little mesh bag. And that's very easy. And, and then other times we come across stuff like tires. Those tires aren't going to fit in the bag. So we have, you know, we learn the system over trial and error and trying to get it, get it to the surface and onto a kayaker into a raft. And eventually what we found was a very, you know, laughable scenario where it's, it's, we call it a rock rope, you know, and, and after two years, we haven't found a system that works better. Many divers say, why aren't we using lift bags to just, you know, shoot the tires up and, and go up. But divers typically have to guide lift bags to the surface. And we see so much trash that we can't be going up and down and hurting our ears or mm. risking BCS. So we have this rock rope come down, we tie it around the tires and then we, have the free divers yank these bigger pieces of trash up that maybe weigh 20, 20 ish pounds. Um, you know, and then they put that into a trash raft and the kayakers are towing the trash raft also flying the safety dive flags and watching divers and snorkelers in the water. And then the jet skier comes into play when a scuba diver comes across something like a plastic trash can full of cement that was used as a buoy block. 
and now it's breaking off pieces of plastic and potentially contributing to the microplastics issues in Tahoe. So we will GPS mark those items and have custom hand signals to the free divers and they call over the jet skier. He GPS marks it, types up a report on it while he's on the jet ski and logs it into a software system so that we can revisit that later. And so all of this kind of works together and it's definitely a complicated approach. <laughs> and what is DCS? You said DCS. You don't want to risk say. DCS. Yeah. Yeah. Decompression sickness. So getting bent or the bends. And mm -hmm. so as you said, altitude diving um, does present a different complication because at sea level, you, your second atmosphere starts at 33 feet. And in order to keep this a volunteer operation and reduce risk, uh, we actually put our maximum depth at 25 feet because at altitude, your second atmosphere actually starts at 26 up here at least. And so, you know, there is these uh, altitude considerations and calculations that we have to do to yeah, reduce risk um, for, yeah, for decompression sickness, uh, which is even different than the ocean. And it's worth it, Colin. Why? You know, to me, it's worth it. A lot of people ask, like, you know, a lot of people at times have thought we're just, you know, out there to remove the trash and then we're going to be done. And that's couldn't be further from the truth. I think this is only the beginning for our organization. Um, you know, and for me, of course, it's, it's worth it to get this trash out for one, but that's just the, that's just the start of our, our message that we want to send. I think the fact that our team has to go through these complicated logistics to remove, you know, at the end, 20,000 plus pounds of trash out of this beautiful lake, that mission alone shouldn't be needed. And, and hopefully people can watch this, this feat and this effort that our team is doing and realize we have to do better. You know, we got to find ways to prevent this from ever being needed again. Um, and it's, you know, so far along in our time that we have to, we have to change what we can. And I think that time is now. Well, if you have questions for Colin West, call us at 866-733-6786. Email them to forum at kqed.org. Post them on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. We'll have more with them after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about an underwater trash pickup that's happening in Lake Tahoe, and it's been going strong since May. Colin West, founder and executive director of Clean Up the Lake, has been leading that effort. And if you have questions about how he's doing it or concerns about Lake Tahoe and its future, you can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org or post your questions or comments on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. I also want to bring Darcy Goodman-Collins into the conversation now, Chief Executive Officer of the League to Save Lake Tahoe. Darcy Goodman-Collins, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful to be here. 
So we've been hearing about Colin's work. What impact do you think it's having or how does this complement the work that the League to Save Lake Tahoe is doing? Yeah, so for almost 65 years, Keep Tahoe Blue, also known as the League to Save Lake Tahoe, has been focusing on protecting the lake. And currently there are three main threats facing the lake. First is pollution from our urban landscape. Second is invasive species like non-native weeds. And of course, climate change, which makes all of the other threats that more impactful. And pollution from our urban landscape, one of the key pollutants and the most obvious pollutants is macro trash. And that's what gratefully Colin and his team are cleaning up in the lake. We also have at Keep Tahoe Blue a huge volunteer program. And we do, since 2014, we've been doing um, community-based litter pickups. And we've done the beach line, the shoreline upland from the lake portion of cleaning up. And so the work done within the lake is hugely impactful because we haven't gotten our volunteers there. So the hope is that if we continue to do cleanups on the beach side, the upland side, we'll have less of these pollutants that make their way down to the water. And it's a great partnership with Clean Up the Lake. And ideally we put each other out of business. Well, Amy writes, I just cannot believe that miles of shoreline trash is an issue at the stunning Lake Tahoe in California. I sadly haven't been there since I was a child, but I've always thought of it as such a treasured place. I thought in our most treasured places of California, we would not have fallen to this. Colin, earlier, I know you were talking about just living around the lake, just that is part of what contributes to the trash. But you also described golf balls and you know, plastic cups and things like that, um, that don't necessarily sound so accidental sometimes. What, what do you think of Amy's comment that we have fallen to this? And what is your message to people just in terms of trying to be more conscious of how the lake gets polluted to this degree? Absolutely. I mean, I think there, as you said, there are absolutely some intentional, you know, pieces of litter down there quite a bit. Um, and, you know, those people shouldn't be doing that and should absolutely change their, their outlook on, on how they're acting. Um, but that message that you're asking that I could give people to, to support, you know, preventing this issue further is I think when it does come to accidental trash, like if someone's coming out on a boat on Lake Tahoe, are they, are they aware and are bringing trash bags and putting their cans and beaches away? Are they securing their beach towels? Because I've picked up dozens and dozens of towels and hats and things that likely just blow off the boat, <laughs> you know? And, and so those pieces are, you know, are always interesting to find and pick up. And I usually, you know, chuck a hat over my uh, wetsuit hood and, and keep swimming, um, you know, but I think just being, being aware of their impact, whether it is accidental and preventing that and having a preventative mindset into, you know, what kind of impact they can have on the environment is important. And Amy was also mentioning clarity, uh, Darcy. And I know that especially during the Calder fire and its aftermath, we had people on our show just talking about concerns about the sediment and ash from the fires. How is the clarity right now? And how much has that also contributed to some waning clarity in the lake? That's a great question. So 2021, besides all the challenges we've been experiencing, was an epitome of climate change impacts. We had a long period of drought followed by 
fire and then an intense storm, which created algal blooms. All of these impacts have impacted our, our clarity. Historically, in the early 1900s, you could see 100 feet of clarity. And today it's, it's wavering, you know, in the high 50s to low 60s. And all of these impacts from our urban landscape and external climatic changes are, are making our battle to continue to improve clarity that much more difficult. And the Caldor fire had a handful of interesting impacts and lessons. So one thing that we found from the Caldor fire is that although we still have a lot of work we need to do, Tahoe had done some preventative measures which helped save our community. Of course, the, the fire ravished its way all the way up to the basin, but um, we were lucky enough, not one house, not one structure was lost, but we still see the impacts and we're starting to learn. We see the impacts on our landscape, but we're starting to learn what those impacts are gonna be on clarity. My organization actually helped fund a rapid response study on ash and smoke impacts on the lake. And we started collecting data on that before the Caldor fire. So there's so many other smoke mm -hmm. impacted um, fires for the lake that we were looking at, but then the Caldor fire provided us another opportunity to learn about the impacts. So we're just starting to collect that data and we'll begin to know what can we do from a management perspective to, as we learn what those short and long-term impacts are, what can we do to help prevent um, more catastrophic fires within the basin and their impacts to clarity. Well, let me go to caller Henry in Santa Rosa. Hi, Henry. Oh, hi. I just wanted to ask you what kind of um, participation the municipalities have in the area. Mm -hmm. I mean, do they put up garbage cans all along the beaches and stuff like that? Um, Colin, how, how are cities helping out in the area, contributing or participating or helping to mitigate? You know, I think that's a that's a great question. And, you know, we've been fortunate enough to work with uh, Nevada Division of State Lands and their Lake Tahoe license plate grant. So from a state level, there's been a lot of direct support into the projects that we're doing. Um, you know, currently have been speaking with other municipalities around the lake as well to try and develop relationships with them. But I think the question specifically in regards to like, how are the trash can situations at parks outside of trails and areas of population? And I think, you know, from my perspective, there's kind of a varying frequency of, of trash cans in these areas. And at times it can get confusing because there's so many different jurisdictions. Um, and I think, you know, I would encourage every single jurisdiction to really kind of look at their areas with the highest visitation and the highest amount of people in order to ensure that there are some. And, you know, without naming names, I can think of a couple areas that I know our organization wants to try and work with those jurisdictions to try and put further trash cans in. Um, but the issue is, is that it's not always just putting in a trash can, it's always working out the team, the employees and the people to get the trash out because once you put a can in, it will fill up and it will fill up a lot here in Tahoe. Hmm. And Darcy, not just cities, but I understand five different counties touch the Lake Tahoe shoreline. Has that made, well, that sounds like it makes efforts to try to do a coordinated cleanup uh, pretty, pretty big, pretty major, because <laughs> that's a lot of different, different areas to try to coordinate. 
Yeah, Tahoe is so unique in that we sit between two states. We've got five counties, multiple jurisdictions. A lot of organizations and agencies have mandates over protecting Tahoe. So it does often make coordinating efforts very difficult. But one of the most important components of the work that both Colin with Clean Up the Lake and the volunteers from Keep Tahoe Blue are doing is we're using citizen science as a way for crowdsourcing solutions. So by using these volunteers, you're making that touch point and creating ambassadors for messaging. And then all of our programs in which we use volunteers, we collect data on what we're monitoring. So in the instance of trash and litter, we've been learning about the amount and what types of, of litter are located in different areas. So to Colin's point earlier about finding these trash hotspots, we actually have the data to show that. So then we can work with our decision makers and convince them to improve management efforts. And in fact, in earlier, a handful of years ago, when we first started our community-based cleanups, we were able to get the city of South Lake Tahoe to adopt a bag, the plastic bag ban, which was before the, the statewide efforts. And I'm certain we wouldn't have been able to convince them if we hadn't had both the data from these cleanups, as well as the voice of the community. So it wasn't me and my team going to the decision makers. We had the volunteers coming forward and convincing that there was an issue, which then resulted in positive change. So both all of these efforts, hopefully we can continue to build advocates, use these boots on the ground volunteers to be a further voice for changing behavior in a positive way. Well, let me go next to Tina in Washington State. Hi, Tina. Hey, um, Mina, thanks for this program. It's great. And Colin, thank you so much for what you do. Um, my family's owned uh, land on the northeastern shore of Tahoe for uh, 100 years now that we camp on. And so I've been witness over my 66 years to the growing problems of people on the lake. And um, it's not just on the lake bed. I mean, the stuff that's just floating um, that on the on the surface of the lake that you can see when you canoe or, or kayak is everything from clean use Kleenex. Um, di I found diapers, condom wrappers, all sorts of micro trash. I mean, I take a bag with me when I canoe now because you just pick it up all the time. Mm -hmm. And then, as Colin said, the way that the winds and the waves and the currents work, a lot of that. Uh, the trash that's in the water gets pushed to that end of the lake and then sinks. And um, picking it up, it's just, I'm so glad that you're doing it. Um, but it really, I mean, it's its not just accidental trash. Maybe you've got a lot of, you know, a whole lot of things like iPhones and, and uh, dark glasses, but it's just, people just don't keep the trash on their boats. They just throw it in the lake. Um, so yeah. it is a real problem. I also just wanted to mention, um, apropos of the art idea that Colin had, um, there's a place in Bandon, Oregon called Wash the Shore that has amazing art that's been created with ocean plastics. And they also do traveling exhibits and there might be a connection there that could be made. Hmm. Well, thanks for that, Tina. Really appreciate the recommendation. Let me see if I can quickly get Frank in San Jose in as well. Frank, you had a question? Yeah, I, I just have a, a great program. I just have a basic question. Is there a fine for dumping in the lake, for dumping trash in the lake? And, and if there is a fine, how is that administered? Colin, do you know? You know, I haven't seen the implementation or 
or actual execution of many fines from littering. I, I do imagine there are some in the area and I, I might pass it over to Darcy here and, and see if she knows the actual penalties and, and what they are in the, in the basin. Thanks, Frank. Dan- Darcy, do you know? Yeah, we don't have any implemented fines, so no punitive action for things like dumping into the lake. Right now, we're mostly working off of education. So it's a messaging campaign, positive behavioral change, which, again, um, collecting data on hotspots and locations and behavior will help us if we do want to advocate for something like a a fine. I think it's going to give us a lot more um, backing and working with our decision makers to not only implement it, but it's the enforcement. So if those rules exist, we need to encourage resources to be spent on enforcing. Yeah, Darcy. I, I mean, yeah pretty, Colin, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a great, great question and something I would love to see as well. And um, and always been impressed by the data collection that Keep Tahoe Blue and everyone on Darcy's team has been doing and, and thought I would also bring up how what we are doing at Clean Up the Lake has been using a United Nations marine litter categorization system to also understand, you know, what litter from shore is getting into the lake so that we know what it is we are pulling out to better prevent that moving forward. So we actually classify all the litter that we pull out every single piece into 83 different categories so that we know exactly what's making it into Tahoe. Interesting. And you'll use that to then inform management strategies and so on, it sounds like, or other entities will as well. Colin West. Right. And yeah. Darcy. And, yeah. And just getting the notoriety, this um, public um, notoriety of the issue. And I think that's one of the biggest things that Clean Up the Top, Clean Up the Lake has done for Tahoe is brought the issue of litter in the lake to light. That's the first step. And once this once this becomes a community issue and people are passionate about it, that's when we can make management changes. Darcy Goodman Collins, the CEO of The League to Save Lake Tahoe, Colin West, is a diver and founder and executive director of Clean Up the Lake. And you, our listeners, are joining with your thoughts and questions. Pete tweets, if you do the math, just considering the past 100 years, there has to be a lot more down there. What advanced methods might be used to harvest it all? Are there thoughts or plans to harvest it all? And is that the goal, Colin? You know, I think it's it's a good question. And, you know, I mentioned earlier this this 72 mile scuba cleanup is absolutely just the beginning. And our organization wants to be here for years and years and decades to come. Um, as you know, as Darcy said, hopefully to, to put ourselves out of business. <laughs> you know, and we do want to go deeper. And so as Darcy was explaining, the hot spots that Keep Tahoe Blue finds on the on the surface along beaches and in communities, we're finding hot spots and marking those on the lake and we do want to explore those further and as we look further into these hot spots under the surface of tahoe we will look deeper as well um you know sadly we can't i can't dive down to 1600 feet but eventually if we wanted to send you know rovers and things of that nature we could um however my outlook is we need to you know remove as much trash as we can um but we need to put preventative measures into place and that might be one of the most important um tools that we can do moving forward to really solve this issue. And so cleaning up is absolutely important. Um, We're happy it's made the awareness of this issue that it has, um, but really tackling some of those preventative measures is going to be, you know, our utmost goal moving forward. But we will look deeper and continue to pull out as much trash as we can outside of around Tahoe. Darcy, this lister wants to know if there's a kind of trash that's most worrisome in terms of impacts on water quality and wildlife. 
Anything that doesn't degrade is problematic, especially if it makes its way into the lake. We're seeing on the terrestrial side, the biggest polluting um, piece of trash are cigarette butts. And we've actually collected over 130,000 cigarette butts since we started our beach cleanups um, since 2014. Those and other plastics, they don't degrade. And one thing we haven't touched on, we've been talking about the macro trash that we can actually pick up, but we haven't talked about the micro trash, the microplastics that we're finding in the lake. We've been working with um, some of our research institute partners like the University of Nevada, Reno's Desert Research Institute to understand is there a microplastic problem in Tahoe? And we found out a couple of years ago that there was. And then where is that coming from? So now we're starting to learn where, where are we getting the plastics? And there's a likelihood it might be coming from um, dryer lint, so airborne. So how, how do we track that? And um, it just gives us another indication that this trash that you're seeing could remain once it breaks down and can remain in the lake for a long time. So mm -hmm. it's a multifaceted issue, which will take multifaceted solutions. Well, Jessica writes, I find it so interesting what Colin says about incidental trash. A lot of times we think it's all those bad people who litter, but really we are all dropping things and we all have this unintended impact. Colin, we just have very little time left, 30 seconds or so, but quickly, when do you estimate that the 72 miles will be excavated? You know, we we did get impacts from the Caldor fire. We were hoping to be done pretty much today. <laughs> However, uh, no one foresaw, you know, being evacuated from their homes. And so the five weeks or so that smoke and evacuations impacted our cleanup has us moving into the winter. And so we're looking at early 2022 and we're just uh, getting ready for the storms and better equipment to withstand the cold and push in and completeness. Uh, hopefully by February. Best of luck to you, Colin, and thank you for your extraordinary work, as well as to you, Darcy Goodman Collins, CEO of Lead to Save Lake Tahoe, Colin West, head of Clean Up the Lake. Thanks to our listeners for their thoughts and questions. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.